Hey, everybody. Thank you for checking out the Broke Down Podcast. My name is Jonathan. I am your host, and this is episode number 90. I've got a great episode for you today. If you read the title, you already know. My guest is none other than the wonderful Donna Jean Gotcha McKay. I don't want to waste a lot of time here, so I'll remind you briefly that the Broke Down Podcast is one of the founding community podcasts of Osiris Media. Osiris is all about connecting fans like yourself with podcasts about the things that you love. It's such a great time to be a deadhead who listens to podcasts. Last time I told you about No Simple Road, but have I told you about Comes a Time? This is a fairly new show hosted by my friend Mike Fenoya, who's been on this show before, and Oteil Burbridge, whom you ought to know as the bass player from ARU, the Allman Brothers Band, and Dead and & Company. So check that out and so much more at OsirisPod.com. So how does my little show get Donna as a guest? Well, she has a new-ish song to share with us. I'll let her tell the whole story, but be sure to stick around after the interview and I'll spin the new track. And then I'll be back to tell you about a mix of tunes that will follow. Don't forget that you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BrokeDownPod. And please consider leaving a review of the show on Apple Podcast if that is your platform of choice. I was incredibly nervous going into this with no real reason. I've talked to a lot of people, but... I mean, here's, it's a Grateful Dead. It's an actual Grateful Dead member. I've talked to Tom Constanton on the show before. That was amazing, and I was nervous for that, too. But this is Donna. I mean, TC is amazing, and this is not to take away from him, but Donna is just linked into all of those core years of 1970s Grateful Dead that know and love and have listened to and dissected, and I play here on the show all the time, and is kind of a big deal. I think we had a nice conversation. I, I think that, uh, well, she was wonderful and she put me at ease. And uh, I think that you will enjoy it. We get into a couple things outside of the new song. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Donna Jean Gacho McKay. Thank you so much for taking a minute to talk with me. Um, I'm excited to talk about the song as well. I'd love, if, with your permission, I'd like to touch on a few other things spanning your career. Okay, sure. Uh, cool. Well, um, I, I will start with the song because I, I got to say I was expecting to like it. I, I like your work. I know Jeff Matson, and uh, I was taken aback really by how on point the song is, the sound. Um, I know you originally recorded this some time ago, but if you just said, well, I wrote this last spring, I think that everybody would believe you. Um, could you talk to me and, you know, share with my listeners, you know, the, the idea of revisiting this song? Well, first of all, that's a compliment, that it sounds like it was just written. But yes, it was written in um, around 2007. And uh, both Jeff Matson and I had been writing songs together, and and we met um, at Gathering of the Vibes, and I believe it was in Connecticut at that time, in Bridgeport. Uh, anyway, so one thing led to another, and uh, I sang with them a, a few times, and then uh, the Zen Tricksters, kind of morphed into Donna Jean and the Tricksters and so we did this album 
I can call it an album because it was back in those days. <laughs> right. Uh, but anyway, uh, the song was recorded well, and we liked it, but it fell short of what Jeff and I had envisioned when we wrote the song as as the uh, intensity that we wanted uh, to hear. And that didn't quite happen, both in the vocals and in the rhythm section. And so over these years, Jeff and I have talked about uh, doing something about that. And we decided to go ahead and do it because the song is even more relevant today than it was, uh, I mean, I wrote the lyrics, so lyrically speaking, uh, more relevant today than it even was, you know, back in 2007. And uh, so the combination of those two things is Jeff and I had been thinking about doing that anyway, and then the day and age that we're living in right now and, and how volatile everything is in this pandemic and the state of the world and the climate and everything that you can name pretty much is just on edge. And so my husband, David McKay, and I thought, let's go ahead and do this now. And so what happened was um, the studio owner down here that has really the premier recording studio in Muscle Shoals these days. Uh, It's called the Nut House, and Jimmy Nutt is the owner. Anyway, we went down to that studio and took the hard drive, of course, and my husband David replaced the bass, Jimmy Nutt replaced the drums, and then there are these three girls uh, who were the background vocalists on most of the songs that are recorded here in Muscle Shoals. And I got them to replace the vocals on the chorus to make it just deeper and stronger and more uh, dynamic and almost gospel sounding. And uh, and it came across. And it, say it does, we yeah. were very, very happy with it. Oh, you should be. It's it's really outstanding, and I will play it for the listeners in in a bit. But um, it's funny you mentioned the uh, the singers in the studio because that was kind of where I wanted to go next. Is I wanted to ask you. Um, I know you grew up in Alabama, but how did you mm-hmm. end up behind or in front of a microphone in Muscle Shoals in the '60s? Well, I was born here, where recording studios were just springing up almost daily and pretty much in my backyard and I always wanted to sing and I just sang all the time anyway and these guys who turned out to be the the Muscle Shoals Swampers and played on all of these hit records they were my best friends and so we all hung out together and played music together and just it was an organic thing that happened down here in Muscle Shoals back in the 60s uh, where we just fell into it. It was not even, 
well, let's try to put something together that already was together because it was so organic with us knowing one another and being really good friends. And so I ended up in front of a microphone very naturally. It just happened. I was there. Wow. <laughs> and uh, wanted to sing, and so I did. That's uh, just... Uh... Kismet? What is, is that what that word means? Uh, you know, it's just right place, right time. It's meant to be, I guess. Um, right place at the right time. Absolutely. I say that all the time. It seems to have happened to you a few times. Um, and then it happened, <laughs> happened in the Grateful Dead as well. Keith and I had no idea that the Grateful Dead were, were looking for a possible keyboard player because Pigpen was so sick at that time and we had no idea and uh, we were just at the right place at the right time. Yeah, yeah I wanted to ask about that uh, very specifically there because uh, the story is that you approached Jerry at the Keystone, introduced him to Keith as his next keyboard player. Is that is that accurate? I mean, and what kind of, where do you get that kind of confidence? Where do you get that kind of nerve? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. First of all, it is true. What you just said is true. I uh, kind of tapped Jerry on the shoulder as he was walking to go backstage from a Garcia band show. And that's when I said, my husband and I have something we need to talk to you about. And he said, okay, come backstage. And Keith and I were too afraid to go backstage. We were just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and Garcia came and sat down next to us in the audience and said, okay, what is it? And I said, well, we need your home telephone number so we can call you and set up a time to, uh, you know, come and play with the band because Keith is your next keyboard player. And you ask, how did I have that kind of nerve? It's because I knew that Keith had the goods. And I had been in the music business, you know, pretty much all my life. And I knew what was good and what was right and what was good, way good enough. Uh, and so my confidence was not based on some kind of dreamland. It was based on something that was real and tangible. And uh, so that gave me the confidence. It's like, oh. You were right. Uh, he definitely had it. At what point did uh, you singing enter into it? I mean, obviously you had this background. Uh, how, how long did it take for that to come up and get you out there? Well, I was at every, every uh, rehearsal. You, you know, Keith did two tours with them before I joined. And I just wanted him to get to do it first. And so I laid back. They had asked me uh, initially, along with Keith, to be in the band, and I, I just wanted Keith to do it first. And so it was New Year's Eve of 71 that I first sang with the Grateful Dead on stage. And, by the way, I had never been on a stage before. I'd never even played in a nightclub. I hadn't done anything but have earphones on in the studio for all my life. And so it was like entering a, 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 another universe, being on stage, and especially with that band. 
with that band on a New Year's Eve. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> that's quite a step. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I could... Um, I could, and honestly, I would love to sit here all, all day and ask you about Grateful Dead albums, but um, I, I won't. Um, but I would like to ask you about the Keith and Donna record uh, from 1975, which is somebody noted to me uh, recently that is criminally out of print. But I listened to my LP just this morning, and it's a beautiful, soulful record. And um, for the audience, if they haven't heard it, uh, you know, it's uh, you and Keith and jerry and john Kahn and merle saunders plays on a song but I, i'm curious how did you get bernard purdy on drums for river deep mountain high i mean that's a that's a i think it's a pretty cool pull of a drummer and just to get him into that orbit uh, of round records and whatnot well i'm not exactly sure how that happened someone who I don't know that they knew Bernard, but they were around him enough, and he was in town, okay. and said, "Why don't you come and you know play on Keith and Donna Godshow's record?" And then he was in our studio, <laughs> recording Mount uh, River Deep, Mountain High. So I'm not really sure how that happened. All I know is it did. <laughs> and, and it's good. It's really good. In fact, I, I love that track so much. Yeah, it's a, what a, just a great tune. Well, I, there were so many things I would change on that, on that album. I wish that we could digitalize it and, and, um, and remix it and do some things to it. You know, it was very loose and raw. I think that comes through a little uh there was and probably at a time some you know the musical tastes you know shift back and forth right so there oh, are yeah. times when you know loose and raw might be uh, uh criticized as a negative but i mean just listening to it again today I, I was like this is this swings it feels so real uh, you can hear the instruments uh it's not like mixed within an inch of its life um, and uh, I, I think that I think it has a, a quality that some record diggers are, you know, try, struggling to find as they go through the masses of records. So I agree with you. I think it would be wonderful if we could get that back out there for folks. Well, maybe, maybe you never know. <laughs> but it would be a lot of work to do that. Uh, but it's so real and raw and loose the studio where we recorded it was in our house and so zion was about six months old <laughs> if that and so i had a baby asleep on one side of the house and then the studio was on the other side of the house and so it was it was the way that it was back in those days. It was loose, and it was raw, and it was real, and it was other. And <laughs> that's what we're left with. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a, it's a great result. Um, and yeah, I love the cover of Zion with the Garcia doodle on the, on the forehead. It's beautiful. Well, I wish, I wish we had a better photo of, of Zion, because he was... 
he had a temperature of 102. He was oh, no. sick as a dog that day. And that's why, the, you know, the expression is on his face. You know, he was he was not well that oh, day. Goodness. Well, uh, so I have a couple more Grateful Dead questions, and then we'll carry on and, and, and tie this all together, I think. But um, Okay. I, I wanted to ask... Um, Something about I wanted to ask you about the wall of sound. This uh, system was reputedly, you know, amazing for the audience. I talked to fans who saw the band in that era, and they said, "Wow, you could hear the instruments a mile away." But you know, the dual microphone system wasn't really kind to the vocals, and there there were no monitors. Oh, I hated it. I hated that. Uh, I hated those microphones. Oh, noise canceling. Right. Uh, they, and that was the reason for them was to prevent feedback because the band was so freaking loud, you know. And uh, especially if you're if you're going to record, you don't want bleed over into the vocal mics. And so that was a an experiment that was just I hated it so bad. They sounded terrible. They didn't sound real. And you just had to work at singing. So I didn't like that part of the wall, wall of sound at all. But you're right, it was just crystal clear and, um, you know, the music, you could hear it for 10 miles away. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was a, it was a, a mammoth thing, that's for sure. I know Billy has said that he uh, was initially quite nervous about sitting underneath the uh, the vocal section, which was hanging. But the rest of it seems like, you know, they had it well secured. So I, I assume you weren't in in fear of physical peril, but it was a, a challenge to sing in front of. Well, I I never felt any <laughs> physical peril, but. Um... I can understand why Billy did. Right. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Um, so there was a, 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 that was kind of a setup question because I had a feeling I knew you'd, how you'd answer there. Uh, there was a distinct improvement in the way the band harmonized in 1976 when, the, when you came back on the road after the break, uh, the theoretical mm -hmm. break that was, you know, everybody seemed to work their butts off regardless. Um, that first tour, you're playing theaters, a traditional sound system with monitors, it has some of the best onstage harmony work with yourself and Jerry and yourself and Bobby. I mean, some of my all-time favorite performances right there in those theaters. Uh, is it the sound system, smaller rooms, combination of that, or were you guys just really well rehearsed and ready to go? Well, it's a combination of all of those things. Uh, obviously, we had to rehearse, but a smaller venue, and especially venues that are were built and created for specifically for music, and so you get the right balance, and you just feel more inside the music. You know, when you get to stadiums that were built for hockey players, you know, it's a it's a challenge to stand up to that and it's not serviceable you know to to singing and and that kind of intimacy and so the intimacy of a of a theater 
was always something we enjoyed. I enjoyed that from the very beginning. It was my favorite place to play was in a theater. So yeah, um, yeah, it, was, it has to be uh, uh, that made for that made for better harmonies. Yeah, that's some of my absolute favorite versions of "Looks Like Rain." Um, uh, and and uh, the mission in the rain, which was short-lived with the dead, but during that era, it just you guys sound so wonderful that uh, you know I go back to it every now and then when I just need to feel something. <laughs> um, they really get me. So, well, thank you. you no, know, thank you. So, a- after the Grateful Dead, there was a made some more music in the Bay Area before Keith passed, um, and you married David, and you left California for Alabama again. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Uh, we had some musician friends here. My mother was getting aged, and it, it, I, I just knew that I had to get back. And uh, like I said, we had musician friends here, and we uh, cut a record at Muscle Show Sound about a year after we moved back. And then that's when later on that in that season, musical season of my life, I met Jeff Matson and the Zentricksters, and we started up with that. Um, you know, eventually Donna Jean uh, God Show uh, with uh, band and uh, with Jeff Matson. I'm sorry, I'm just. <laughs> That's all right. I get m- mixed up with Donna Jean and the Tracers, Donna Jean and this, and Donna Jean and that, and blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm going to so, have the same problem anyway. when I, uh, you know, try to intro <laughs> this thing and talk about it after. I mean, like, you know, it was Donna Jean and the Tricksters, it was the Donna Jean Gotcha Band with Zeth Matson. <laughs> it was, it's, you know, it, it's, it's okay, though. Um, there's just, there's a lot of great music. It's actually kind of the point I was leading to, is that you've been still been fairly active over the years uh, i i myself was lucky enough to see you sit in with the other ones in 1998 kind of randomly at a in was it camden new jersey outside philadelphia you came camden, on stage yeah. yeah um that was that was a big treat for me i was very excited about that and well it was a big treat for me too not only you know getting to sing was phil there phil was yeah there, phil was he? on that tour yeah phil and bobby and uh Mickey and Billy, but Steve Kimmock is a really, really good friend of mine, and of course he was in the uh, the original Heart of Gold band with us, you know, back in oh, early '80. I have that record. And so, uh, getting to be with Steve and hang with him, and and I love his playing and everything, and it, so it was a real treat for me to get to do that as well. Yeah, Steve is uh, he's a wonderful player, and yeah, actually, I, I kind oh, of gosh. bounced over that. You guys had uh, that the Ghosts and the Heart of Gold band; these names kind of bleed together as some of the other projects. There's a couple records worth of material, though. Um, well, I have I have tried my hardest to disassociate myself and Keith from the Ghost. We were just like hired players. That was not our band. It was never our band. We were just there and, you know, playing with this guy, Don Gaynor, who who wanted a, a singer and a piano player. It wasn't our band at all. I see. 
So, uh, well, I, I'm happy to help you get that word out and take it under my own. So I appreciate <laughs> it. So, but uh, Steve was involved with the Heart of Gold band kind of followed. It's also kind of the seeds of zero, which is yeah. so much uh, interconnectedness overlapping and frankly, poor documentation for us poor record collector nerds that we, you know, we, we don't, we don't know <laughs> until we hear it from you, for example. So I appreciate your clarification on that. So let's, uh, we'll steer this back in. So you, you already mentioned how you met Jeff and, uh, Shelter, how that came out. I really appreciate your describing that process because I really love the way it sounds. Um, what is ahead for you? I mean, I know we're still in COVID, so we could speak generally optimistically. Uh, do you have some plans when things clear up to get back out and play some shows, or will we hear more from the studio? Well, to be honest, I don't have any quote plans because everything is still in a nebulous situation right now and so you can't quite make a plan and know that you're going to be able to stick to that plan because everything is so volatile right now it's true <clears throat> so i think all of us musicians who have had to take a step back from uh doing live shows including my both of my sons uh, are the band Boombox. I don't know if you've heard of Boombox, I have. but I have. both of my both of my sons are the duo in Boombox, and of course they were playing everywhere and everywhere. Uh, and all of a sudden, that dried up because they couldn't have a live audience anymore, and so now they have been doing streaming in our studio here in Muscle Shoals. Uh, but they had to determine that they weren't going to languish away for a year or however long it took to get this pandemic under control. And they have been consistently writing songs, writing songs, writing songs, and staying creative the whole year. And like I said, doing these uh, live streams and so everybody all, I mean when I say everybody musicians are going to have to re-enter the world that got ripped out from under them right. and so how that takes place is going to be it's going to be fragile and I I just am not making plans right now as is um, all I can say and whatever happens happens and uh, whatever's supposed to happen will well that that is certainly true um, well optimistically I hope that a uh, time comes soon where you can make some plans and come out and see us in the world where it's safe to do so so uh, if well hopefully Hopefully we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't want anybody to rush. Let's take our time and do it when it's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's the key. Is not jumping the gun. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. It's tough, and I know it's been. I've talked to a lot of musicians who, you know, this very similar answer to yours, and I, I just. I, I, I kind of keep hoping. I keep asking that question. Uh, so, you got any? 
hopes to do things in the near or the distant or whatever, just because I'm, I'm, I'm waiting at some point, hopefully sooner than later, somebody's going to be like, yeah, actually, <laughs> we've got a tour. <laughs> um, just because I, 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 they're, they're all suffering. I mean, I talked to about a year ago, yeah, a little over a year ago, I talked to uh, Melvin Seals um, and he was talking about, you know, his whole upcoming East Coast tour that just it got canceled to right after the podcast came out and and it's been like that ever since it's everybody's just like well we got nothing and we got nothing but you better <laughs> find something to do yeah well some place to keep being creative i think i'm not languish like i love that word languish because it's so descriptive of what can happen so easily really it's and, like a onomatopoeia except it's more emotional mm -hmm. than sound yeah <laughs> yeah you know writing I, I know a lot of people are writing even i'm writing because i don't have a commute to my day job i'm able to write a lot more and um and so hopefully that you know that works for people and we can get more music it's always always more music that's that's my goal in the world is to see more music happen. So. Well, music is basically a saving grace right now. It you is. know, it, it, everybody's looking for a place to to hang their hat. You know, a, 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 some kind of a bottom line, and music is the great translator, and it just speaks to everybody on this planet, and it's one of the few things that does. <laughs> it's I mean it's the it's original easy. communication form so mm -hmm. it it, yeah. it continues to reach everybody at least some element of music you know we all we all have different tastes but there's a but there's it's a thread still music and there's still a communication yes indeed D Donna I I I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me educate me just being yourself and being as wonderful as you have been for all these years. I, I have oh, been a fan for longer than you want to know. And um, yeah, it's, it's an honor to have a chance to chat with you. Well, it's been my pleasure. I hope that when you uh, have something else to share with us, some next project, next something going on, you'll uh, give me a call and we can uh, share it with everybody. Well, I did want to say uh, for anyone who, who does want to download shelter and I hope that, that that's the case that's the point uh, is to get the, the message out there and the music that communicates you know some at least somewhat of what's going on with us in America and in the world uh, the whole point was not to make a bunch of money it was to get this song out there you know I don't care if I don't care about the other side of it. I just want it to be heard. And if you want to hear it, the easiest way to uh, get the download is go to Donna Jean and the Tricksters dot here now. And here is spelled H E A R. So it's Donna Jean and the Tricksters dot herenow.com I'll make sure everybody has that link from the uh, on the web page and whatnot so they okay, can Okay uh, good. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely point everybody in the right direction. So 
Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you, Jonathan. It really has. Thank you so much for chatting with me, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And you too. Take care. And hopefully one of these days we can meet eye to eye. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love that. I really would. <laughs> okay, my dear. Will you uh, be safe and healthy and all the good things? Uh, you do the same. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.
All right, that was really great, and what a tune. It's heavy, and it, it gets at something that's so real and current. As I said to her, it's hard to believe that it's not a brand new song. Um, as she mentioned, you can find it at DonnaJeanAndTheTricksters.HearNow.com. That's here as in listen. Of course, you can find the link at BrokeDownPodcast.Blogspot.com. And you can find it on all the major streaming services, so get at it. Stream it, download it, whatever, share it with your friends. Uh, I hope your friends are listening to the show, though, so they already know about it, right? Right? Anyways, all of you that are <laughs> still hanging out, waiting for more music, here we go. I'm going to kick this set off with a couple Keith and Donna tracks. The first is from their album. You heard us talk about it earlier. It's called River Deep Mountain High. And after that, we're going to hear a tune that can also be heard in a studio arrangement on the Keith and Donna record. It's called Sweet Baby, and it's from a live Keith and Donna show from August 20th, 1975 at the Great American Music Hall. You got Keith and Donna, Ray Scott on electric guitar, Michael Larsheed on electric bass, Billy the drummer Kreutzmann on drums, Hadi Al-Sadoun on trumpet, and a guy named Jerry Garcia on guitar as well. I think you'll like that. And after all that, we get into some good old Grateful Dead. Now, I spoke with Donna about the theater shows in 76, so we're going to go to one of those. July 18th, 1976, from the Orpheum Theater in San Francisco, California. This was the sixth night of the run, and unlike the East Coast shows in June, which were ticketed via mail order, these went up with a traditional outlet sale, which apparently led to long lines at the best ticket outlets in the Bay Area. These were... Also unusual for Bay Area Grateful Dead shows, of which there had not been too many since the so-called retirement shows in 74, right? But they were reserved seat shows, which that was pretty unusual at the time. So this was the final night. It was broadcast via KSAN, whom we can thank for this incredible source. And according to Corey at Lost Live Dead, prior to the first set, champagne was handed out to the audience by Bill Graham and company so they could surprise the band with a toast when the curtain went up. Also, flowers were handed out to the band members by ladies in swimsuits wearing sashes that said, Miss Jerry, Miss Bob, etc. Bill Graham, he wore a sash that said, Mr. Donna, and presented flowers to Donna. It's always, always turning concert into so much more, that Bill Graham. So I've compiled a not short, but not complete mix from the show that I hope you'll enjoy. All that music is coming up in just one moment. So I will talk to you again on the next episode. Until then, be well. I was a little girl, I had a rag doll, the only doll I ever owned. Gonna love you just the
Southern skies, I'm on my way, my way. 
Woke today Build your side of bed The covers were still warm Where you'd been laying
gifts from their crowns you were listening to a choir
mosquitoes on the river. Fish are rising up blackbirds. It's been hot for seven weeks now. Too hot to even speak now. Did you hear what I just heard? See, it might have been a fiddle. Or it could have been the
Her song is the latch on the morning star. See the sun sparkling in the reeds, sitting the beach, passing to the sea. She comes from the town where the call of the woodcut is gone. She's brown as the bank when she kneels down to carry her water. 
Well, I speak the stand inside the rain. Listen to the 
shall we say, shall we call it by a name?
Thank you. 